So I got this hot little life hack for you if you're ever stuck for stuff to talk about at a health tech networking event. So if you say, oh, what about that lack of interoperability, huh? What's that all about? It's pretty safe to say there'll be a bunch of people who'll nod knowingly and say, yeah, absolutely. Tell me about it. We totally need to do something about that. So interoperability, the sharing and connecting of data between apps and stakeholders. The vibe has been for a long time in healthcare. If we improve it, then we're going to do healthcare heaps better. Now let's get a bit more specific. Why is it there's so much talk about interoperability? Well, I guess because it's hard. Not technically, that's probably slightly easier bit. The technology's there, but all the other stuff that comes with it when you involve humans in healthcare, like change and workflow and funding and security and trust and the list goes on. And today we're leaning into those tricky bits to hopefully get a little bit more clarity on where we're at now, where we need to go when it comes to data and how it supports better healthcare. And so with me today, I'm chatting with David Hansen from the CSIRO. And in this episode, we're talking about all of the data, interoperability and the what, where and how of data supporting connected care. Collaboration, it starts with a conversation, Team Health Tech. Well, let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech, a podcast and membership community about technology in healthcare. Here's your host, Peter Birch. With me today is David Hansen, the CEO and Research Director of the Australian eHealth Research Centre at the CSIRO, Australia's National Science Agency. The Australian eHealth Research Centre is CSIRO's digital health research program. It's got over 100 scientists and engineers across health informatics, biomedical informatics and health services research, and it's also Australia's largest digital health research centre. David's passionate about the role of information and communication technologies in healthcare and the role of digital health professionals in developing a safe, high-quality, efficient and sustainable healthcare system. David, how are you going? Great. Great to be here. Thanks, Peter. Good to have you on the show. Thanks for making the time. It's going to be good to dive into those topics that we mentioned. But firstly, tell us a bit more about you and your background and what you're up to. Sure. So look, working for CSIRO, I do come from a science background and my PhD many, many <laughs> moons ago now was around computational chemistry. But in the late 90s and early 2000s, there was a, a thing happening called bioinformatics. And so this was driven out of the world of sequencing whole genome sequences or big parts of the sequence or even small parts of the sequence back then, where people with a, a chemistry or physics background were being almost enticed into going to work in the bioinformatics field because there was much more computational, I guess, training in a chemistry or physics degree and PhD than a biology one. So I ended up working at the European Bioinformatics Institute in bioinformatics, but I'd only been there a short time and my boss was spinning out to a company and wanted me to come. And I ended up working in a company called Lion Bioscience in the UK for seven years. We had a genomic search engine, which was used by both the public and private efforts when they published the human genome. So that was a pretty exciting thing to be involved in. And then I guess in the mid-2000s, my wife and I thought it was time to come home to Australia and CSRO were just starting an e-health research centre in Brisbane. And so I uh, applied for a job there and I guess the rest is history. I've been here, well, coming up for 18 years now, not always being the research director and CEO, but leading projects and then I've been leading the centre for the last 10 years. Well, very cool. I'm keen to learn a bit more about the Digital Research Centre. Tell us about what that is and what kind of ties into that. Sure. 
So as I mentioned, actually, we've been around almost 20 years now. So that's pretty exciting, actually, to be a digital health research center that's been around for 20 years. And we've really grown to be over 100 scientists and engineers. And we really work across healthcare. So we, you know, I guess, harking back to my bioinformatics team, we have a great genomics team, but then we do a lot in medical imaging and biostatistics. We're very embedded in some of the largest trials around Alzheimer's disease in Australia, where we've been doing all the image processing into the kind of what's probably a bit more traditional digital health in terms of clinical informatics and health informatics and interoperability and analytics and all those sort of things, which I'm sure we'll dive into shortly through to health services research, where we're looking at mobile health and telehealth, the health internet of things, where we can actually trial mobile health solutions with our clinical partners, work them up, work out how we can actually change how healthcare is delivered. Cool topics. And so when you say involved in the research and touching on all of those topics, so is it driving trials? Is it creating reports? Like what's the, what's the output that people see of what you do? Yeah. Yeah, so look, most of our people here are technical and scientific. So we really depend on our clinical partners for knowing what the clinical problem is or what the health problem is. And we can bring some great science and some great technology to it. We, we, of course, we have our project leads and project people here so that we do drive the research as well. Unless we're working with our clinical partners in, in health service or a medical research institute to really drive that, that's where we love working with the health system and really making sure that we're driving science in. So on that topic then and moving into that infamous I word in healthcare of interoperability then and working with the health system, like you say, being in the space for quite a while now with the Research Centre 18 years and yourself too. Talk to me about it. What can be done? Why do we talk about the need for interoperability in healthcare and digital health so much? Yeah. So look, I guess it's that it's still, as I think you alluded to in your introduction, it's still not solved and there's still a long way to go. The technology is starting to be there. I'll agree with you and I'll talk about some of that in a moment. But those things you mentioned in terms of workflow and change and funding and all those sort of things, they do drive behaviours in the healthcare system and the ability to get a system in. What we are seeing is that like life in general, digital systems are just becoming ubiquitous. You know, hardly any of us would leave at home without a mobile phone these days. And when we're on our phone, we're always connected. And so what we have to do is make sure that the healthcare system keeps up with that. So how do we actually make patients and clinicians part of that interoperability story that they're always involved in their own care or driving their own patient care, etc.? So I think there's a whole revolution still to happen in digital health, but we have to get the building blocks there first, which is partly why we do a lot in the standard space. So I'm going to talk about standards because that's the key to interoperability. But realize that the standards you know, aren't there and meant to be dry documents. They're there to help facilitate discussion as well as facilitate agreement of how we can actually support patient care. And when we keep that, the importance of the discussion and the agreement on how the data is going to support patient care or support efficiency or safety in the healthcare system, that's when we can actually see the standards making a difference. Yeah, got it. So is this a good time to jump into a bit more about the standards then? Well, I thought before I jumped into standards, I want to say we kind of look at what's happening in digital health as four main trends being interoperability, cloud, apps and personalization, and data analytics as a service. So, you know, everywhere you look, interoperability, as you said, is continues to be discussed as one of the big issues. But really, the fact that we're moving data onto cloud systems rather than having our health systems be data, data center owners as well, 
the fact that we want apps and personalization and the fact that we no longer want to ship our data off to be analyzed. We want analytics to come to the data means that we actually need to be making sure that the data is captured in a standards-based way that supports interoperability. So those four things, if we can start to get those four things right, I think we'll also start to see, and something we might touch on at the end, is around the use of more artificial intelligence and more advanced algorithms doing something with the data. So you mentioned standards. I think as most of your listeners know, HL7's new fire standard is emerging, I think, as a bit of a game changer in interoperability in healthcare around the world. And so one of our key areas was actually really early on, like 15, 16 years ago, we started doing some work with SNOMED CT as a clinical terminology. And so most people think, oh, SNOMED, it's a bit dry and uninteresting. But that is how we need to be capturing the data using standards such as SNOMED CT and terminology. What was nice is by the time FIRE came around in 2011, 2012, we'd built up already by that point a real expertise in the use of clinical terminologies such as SNOMED. And so we actually were involved with Graham in helping shape the terminology substandard for FIRE. And we actually, as part of that, re-engineered the terminology server, which we were building at the time, to be completely compliant and implement the FIRE terminology standard. So we now have what we posit is the best fire terminology server in the world, which is OntoServer. And so OntoServer, for your members who are listening in who don't know, OntoServer actually underpins, and we did a lot of work with the Australian Digital Health Agency to make OntoServer underpin the National Clinical Terminology Service. So when the agency published SNOMED CT and the Australian Medicines Terminology, it's obviously published as files online, but it's also published as a fire terminology system that can be synchronized with a local terminology server. And that's completely standards-based. The thing about OntoServer is it's completely standards-based. The other thing we did with the agency was to make OntoServer free for end use in Australia. So we now have over 100 organizations around Australia who are making use of the terminology server to implement SNOMED or AMT in their systems. They don't all have to be FHIR. It, it, it is a FHIR terminology server, but the thing about FHIR is that it's a modern take on computer science. It uses you know, normal internet technologies, restful web services and things. So you don't need to hook it up to a completely FHIR-based system, but as you move towards Firebase systems, it will support that move. So we've got many THT members who are already using OntoServer in their products. And it's really exciting, actually, just to see something coming out of CSIRO as Australia's National Science Agency that is helping to underpin that move to standards and interoperability in healthcare. It's an interesting one. If you've been kicking around this industry a bit like me, or maybe even you're brand new to digital health, you've probably worked out that health tech is not an individual sport. Whatever you're trying to achieve, whether you're delivering healthcare for patients, or you're building health technology, or perhaps you're helping deploy solutions across health systems, you need a tribe, a community of like-minded individuals who just get it that if we're going to transform healthcare, then technology is going to play a huge part in it. So to learn and connect about health tech and level up your game, consider joining our THT Plus membership community. We've got options for every stage of growth, whether you're a solo individual or a startup or scale-up company. As an individual, you get access to our exclusive community forum, you get a warm intro to two other members from me each month, you get free access to our quarterly virtual summits and a bunch of other exclusive goodies. 
companies can bring team members into the community. Plus, you get a presence on our website as a THT Plus member. You can post content like news events and jobs. And of course, we love to showcase our members. So when you join as a company THT Plus member, you'll get to appear on this podcast with your very own episode. This podcast is made possible through the support of our members. It's literally the heart of everything we do. So consider joining as a THT Plus member. You can join anytime online. Just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash THT Plus. Isn't it because in theory for systems to speak to each other, share data, that data needs to be in a consistent format, standardized format, and the Onto server and SNOMED being... I guess that standard coding for diagnoses and treatment and everything that needs to be undertaken in the practical sense, it's a really hard thing to get right. Like even though you could build a practice management system and EMR, everything with that kind of built in, unless it's not actually utilized correctly and the data going in kind of matches up with that, it can be, you know, a lot in vain. So there's that extra kind of translation piece of what actually happens in healthcare to then the this piece? I think there's a couple things there. One is, I think it's a lot of hard work building clinical information systems and electronic medical records, etc. You know, there's so much to get right. And terminology perhaps can come a bit last, you know, it's like, oh, we'll get to it. <laughs> and so what we've done with Onto Server is really reduce the cost of implementation of something like SNOMED. It takes out that pain, it provides a restful web service for search and lookup and all those sort of things which you use in a modern application. And, you know, we've had companies, again, THT members who have taken the free license for Onto Server from the agency and had a first prototype implementation of SNOMED in their system the next day. And, you know, that's where we've tried to really reduce it. So that's one thing less that they have to worry about in terms of capturing good data in an information system. So driving the cost of that down, we see, is really important. Absolutely. And I guess going down that path a little bit further, where we're at a point where there's so much more data that's being generated in healthcare. So getting those standards right and building that in now is really important as it continues to grow and that mountain increases. You know, we've got apps and wearables and virtual care and more digitized systems. What do you see are the biggest opportunities for us to do something meaningful with all of this data in healthcare? There's lots of opportunities, and I'm going to come back to that in a moment. I wanted to mention one other thing is that SNOMED, as well as kind of the implementation of it, using the data is equally as hard. I think you've touched on that in your question. And so that's something our team bring is that we've got quite a team around what we're doing with SNOMED and interoperability now. It's over 20 people who are clinical terminology experts or description logic experts or engineers and database systems experts. So we've actually got well over 200 years of built up experience that we bring to the use of clinical terminology in healthcare. And it's not just the collection, it is that analytics part. And so how do we actually get the most out of the analytics for that data. So again, we do like to build systems and we build them with our customers. We've got another tool called Pathlink, which is our fire analytics server. And that's where we're trying to take advantage of both the fire format, as you mentioned, you need both format and content to be aligned, the fire format and the SNOMED content to be able to do analytics in a way that's terminology aware. So as you know, SNOMED's got lots of properties or relationships and there's the hierarchies and that can be really hard to build into typical analytics services. And so what we've done with Pathling is to build that in so it's actually 
again, something the end user doesn't need to worry about. We're trying to lower the cost of implementing these tools. And Pathling is something which we've made freely available through just an open source license. You can Google Pathling and CSRO and I'm sure it'll take you there. And again, you know, we're starting to see people, not just in Australia, but around the world, who are starting to look at fire analytics services and find Pathling. So that's driving it. And then what we want to do is make it available in a way that's health friendly. So, you know, a lot of people in health use Power BI or Click or, or those tools. How can we, again, hide the fire and the SNOMED complexity underneath those things so that people in healthcare can use them? And then I guess, you know, to use it, and that then gets to the point of utilizing some of this data to create cool algorithms for artificial intelligence, try and drive down some costs in hospitals and healthcare systems. I mean, the world's the oyster, I guess, when it comes to getting that good data to then do something meaningful with it. Yeah, look, definitely. And, and, you know, we have other teams who are building those sort of algorithms, doing risk analytics for patients, you know, who's most likely to represent at hospital within 28 days and why. And so we're building AI algorithms that use existing data and can develop a model that gives us those answers, but importantly, in an explainable way so that we don't just say this person, we say this person because X, Y, and Z, and, you know, this is why you need. And then the health system can be thinking about what additional support they might provide to the patient once they're discharged. Yeah. You mentioned before that cloud was a really important aspect, like a pillar in terms of the focus in digital health. I feel like we're at this stage now where it's not so much a if things go to the cloud, it's it's the when. Uh, do, do you get that vibe that we're over that concern and now it's just about the practicality of actually implementing it in some of these systems? Yeah, definitely. Whether that's vendors providing cloud-based systems or whatever, you know, we're seeing a move to the cloud. Part of it's a recognition that, you know, our healthcare providers aren't data center managers. <laughs> so let's let the specialists around data center managers do that. But we're also seeing, you know, cloud-based systems which are in Australia that support private tenancies and so they almost and and then just the level of cybersecurity support that they can provide really increases the, the level of, of security around the data I think compared to trying to do that yourself yeah and then so th- thinking about it say we get a lot of these things right and we start to move in the right direction like what excites you about the future of digital health getting all these bits together Well, there's so much more we can do, and that's where a lot of our other research is happening. So I'll come back to FHIR. You know, the the nice thing about FHIR is that it's not just the interoperability. We're seeing standards built on top of it. So Smart on FHIR, for instance, is the application framework that supports the implementation of apps into electronic medical records. And so Cerner and Epic in the US, and I think Cerner and Epic now, both looking at you know supporting that functionality here in Australia, which is A, exciting, because it gives the digital health IT world another avenue to have their technology adopted. A bit like the move, we used to all go, you know, I remember probably 15 years ago now, having to go into a shop to buy Microsoft Word. Um, whereas now, you know, it, it, it's all through app stores. And I think that's just the way health's going to go because, you know, we can't invent our own, totally our own world in digital health. We need to leverage as much as we can from all the investment going on in the internet and all those technologies, cloud, etc. Use that as much as we can. And I'm going to bring just a bit of a segue to workforce because, you know, one of the things I think we struggle with in digital health is the workforce is really small. <laughs> and I think compared to, and, you know, we know universities who have doubled the number of computer science or software engineering students, IT students that they're graduating, but, you know, they're all going into finance and mining and all these other areas. How do we start to capture some of those for digital health? 
And so one of the things we've done over the last couple of years is to work with the University of Queensland on a digital health software programming course for third years that we try and at least let those students know that there's a huge world in digital health that would love to have them in. And in fact, I saw a testimonial from a student last week who had emailed the course coordinator to say he was now working in health IT because of the course. And, you know, that's where we need to do lots more around that. And part of that is selling that vision of you know, you can actually have a real impact. You know, you can build apps that will sit in electronic medical records or will be used by patients on their phone, but still take advantage of the fire and smart on fire world. So, you know, there's lots of exciting things that we can do once we've got this in place. Pausing on that point for a second, that's really important. The future innovators coming through and helping support this transformation in healthcare. And I think sometimes it's about people understanding what's available and what opportunities exist. And The usual pathway that people might go down is thinking, well, I could create a cool app myself that could solve a lot of these issues. And I think that the entrepreneurial side is interesting, but that can create further fragmentation and and not a great deal of traction. There's so much opportunity within existing health systems needing people to come in and help transform things and create impact at scale straight away. Yeah, and that's why the community aspect of FIRE comes in, actually. So, you know, something we're trying to teach students and, and others is yes, as the standard, it's called FIRE, but it's not enough just to implement FIRE. You know, you need to actually have an agreement on what you're going to implement. So that's some other work we've done. We don't just do the terminology stuff around FIRE here. We do lots, you know, imaging people are using it for imaging workflows and lots of other things. But one of the things we do is work with communities to develop implementation guides for how to use FIRE for a particular problem. So something we've done over the last three or four years is work with the GP vendors on an implementation guide for GP vendor systems, GP systems to exchange a patient record. Say a patient moves between one practice and and another practice, instead of photocopying it all and shipping it over in a box, how do we actually... I was going to say, that's that's the real way it gets done between clinics. And there's probably competitive aspects, but that's okay. (laughs) I've had doctors tell me, how do we actually, you know, what are the actual fire resources and value sets that we use so that, you know, if I'm shipping from best practice to medical director or, or whatever, we can just transfer it electronically. So that agreement and most systems nowadays are starting to look at fire. The US is driving that with some of their regulations and that will have an impact here as well. Awesome. Anything exciting we can look forward to seeing from the CSIRO and the AEHRC in the coming months? What are you working on? Oh yeah, lots of big things happening. I think I mentioned that we have OntoServer free for end use in Australia. So we're continuing to work with the agency on their interoperability strategy. So how do we support them? Because that's going to be really important to get buy-in from the community. But we're also seeing success with OntoServer licensing around the world. So we'll have, you know, we want to tender with the UK NHS. So OntoServer underpins the UK NHS terminology service. The Netherlands and New Zealand have also licensed it. Got a number of digital health initiatives around the world that are using it. And we've got a number of reseller agreements that we'll be announcing over coming months as well. So even though it's free for end use in Australia, internationally is where we're licensing it to support our ongoing research, which we need to do in CSIRO. But lots of other great things happening across the centre. I haven't talked much about what Dennis and her team do in genomics, but when it comes to cloud there, Dennis is one of the experts on the use of cloud systems for genomics. And we're starting to, again, combine the genotype information with phenotype information captured in electronic medical records so that we can identify genes which which may be causing disease. You know, our imaging work in Alzheimer's disease continues to 
hopefully support better treatments for Alzheimer's disease over future years. We've been following a cohort of 2,000 people for the last 10 years, so we've got some great data and great images which pharmaceutical companies are using to help support their research in pharmaceuticals. And then we continue to do things in mobile health. We've been running a, a trial with Queensland Health and others around mobile health for women with gestational diabetes, which has actually been a, seen a huge increase in women with gestational diabetes over the last few years. And so supporting them with a mobile phone-based approach to keeping them healthy during pregnancy is important both for, for mum and baby. Yeah. Some great ones to dive into. And I know that we've got planned over the next 12 months to check in on a few of those topics in detail with the CSRO. So I'm sure it's not the last time we'll hear on some of these topics. But David, I really appreciate you making the time coming in to chat on some of these topics. We'll put some notes in the show notes of this episode on our website for people to check out and also link up some of those key terms that we mentioned. If you're interested in learning more about Fire and Onto Server and Snowmed, they're all in our glossary of health tech terms to check out on the website. So do that in your own time. But David, thank you so much much for coming in for a chat. I really appreciate it. Great. Thank you. I very much enjoyed it. Before you go, just a reminder to jump over to our YouTube channel and subscribe and watch some episodes there. There are podcast episodes, summit sessions, and a bunch of other interesting content on our channel. You can just search Talking Health Tech in the YouTube app or click on the link in the show notes of your podcast player, and it should just take you straight there. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Talking Health Tech. Make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcast player and for more information, visit TalkingHealthTech.com.